Why don't you take your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 5. You know, what's interesting about today is that um, I would never pick to preach about what we're talking about this morning in a million years. It's, uh, it's something good, and we're going through 2 Corinthians, so I don't really get that option to just pick and choose the parts that I want because you can read 2 Corinthians and go, hey, wait a second, we skipped that. And so we're not going to skip it today, but it's something so practical. I mean, it's, it's almost crazy how practical it is. It's not inspirational, really. It's just something to receive this morning and probably put in your pocket and you're going to need to pull it out at a later time. It's also one of those things that we, we, we hope we don't have to use. You know, you ever come across stuff in Scripture that you read it and you go, I'm believing that that's true. I hope I don't ever have to experience that that is true. That's the kind of thing that we're talking about this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, being the pastor of this amazing church, uh, all the great stories trickle back to me, which is fantastic. So I'm consistently hearing about all the amazing work that God is doing among us and through us and through you and, you know, people out, you know, just living their lives the way they've always been living their lives, but with a filter of the kingdom of God. And so you've been looking for, hey, God, who are you putting in my path to minister to, to invest in, to invite to church, to speak the the gospel to, Uh, uh, people are being served all over the city, all over the world, we have our very first mission team that's in East Asia right now, literally on the other side of the world, bringing the name of Jesus there. It's unbelievable things are happening. As a pastor, I get the great privilege of hearing those stories. But also as the pastor, I get the the other kind of privilege, maybe not so good kind of privilege, of hearing all the other types of stories. You know what I'm talking about? If there's the good ones, there's also the bad ones. And, And not bad as in like people are unhappy or whatever, because by God's grace, we're not that kind of church. We're very happy people. But life is hard. Life is hard, and so those stories trickle back, either happening in our church or, you know, just around our church. Uh, So in the last couple of weeks, uh, I've heard stories about a a husband who works at home and will come out of his office down the stairs, scream, verbally abuse his wife in front of his little children to the degree that his little children, elementary age children, will have to step in to defend their mom. I heard that story in the last couple of weeks. Heard a story about a couple who's engaged, a great guy, great girl, just not great together. And people have been speaking some truth to them, but it looks like they're going to make that bad decision anyway. Stories about uh, one in my neighborhood. Um, happy family, seemingly. Wife wakes up one morning and says, I don't want to be in this family anymore. And exits her marriage and her family, leaving this single dad to raise now four little children because she didn't want to be married anymore. Stories about men who are so enamored and in love with images on the internet that they don't care about the effect that it takes on their marriage in the presence of their wife. And those stories are orbiting around you too. We all know people who right now are on a path that leads to destruction. They're making decisions that someone who follows Jesus should not make. You have stories orbiting around you just like that. And so what we're going to answer from 2 Corinthians today is when it's someone you know and you love, what do you do? What do you do when somebody you care about is walking a path that leads them away from God and leads them towards sin and destruction? What's our responsibility in that? That's what 2 Corinthians 
2 is going to tell us about. We're actually jumping in to a second half of a story. And so we don't know the full details of the first story, the first half of the story. Uh, we do have some bits and pieces that biblical scholars have kind of pieced together. And the story goes something like this, that the Apostle Paul, he comes in and he starts the great church at Corinth. We've talked about in the last few weeks that Paul has a very complicated relationship with the Corinthians. You know people like that. Uh, some people you have easy relationship with. Some others, it's just complicated and a little bit harder. You have people in your life, when you see their name on the caller ID, you pick it up. That conversation is always good. You're always fun. You always leave glad that you're talking to that person. And then there are the people in your life who you like to press the button and their call mysteriously goes to voicemail. And you're like, oh, I'm sorry that I missed you. But really, you missed them on purpose. You know, those people, because those conversations are not as much fun. It's complicated. There's always drama. That was the Corinthians. If the Apostle Paul could screen calls in the first, uh, first century, he would screen the calls of the Corinthians. They were a very complicated bunch. He loved them very much, but they had all kinds of issues. And so that's what 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is all about. It's all about these issues that the Apostle Paul is dealing with, answering these questions. So what happened is Paul starts the church in Corinth. It grows. He eventually moves on. And at some point, someone in the church, a man in the church, began to stir up dissension about Paul. Started to ask questions like, are we sure we can trust this guy? Are we sure that his gospel is like the pure gospel? He doesn't look like these other apostles, traveling ministers out there. He's a little bit different. Are we sure that he's a trustworthy person? And he stirred up all this dissension in the church. And you know what the Corinthians did? Nothing. They just let this guy do that. They didn't say anything. They didn't try to stop him. They didn't tell him to go and talk to Paul. They just let it happen. And even some of them started to buy in. So when you read 2 Corinthians, you can see some of these questions hanging in the air, these accusations that they have been making about Paul that he's now answering in this letter. So he stirred up the church. The apostle Paul hears about it. And so he writes the Corinthians what he calls a harsh letter. We don't have the record of what that letter exactly said. We get some references in it in 2 Corinthians, but he writes them a harsh letter. And so it didn't start as dearly beloved Corinthians. How are you today? Hope you're blessed. No, it was Corinthians. Boom. Message. And so what Paul tells them is, you've got to do something about this. You can't allow this to happen. You ever been confronted by somebody and they pointed out some kind of blind spot in your life and you realized that you've been making a bad decision or uh, at least some poor decisions and you felt really, really awful about it and then you, you went overboard in the opposite direction? That's kind of what the Corinthians do. So they wake up, they go, oh my gosh, we've allowed this guy to be in our church, stir us all up against Paul who loves us and we love and so we, we got to do something. And so they push him, this man, out of the church. They remove their fellowship from him to an extreme uh, degree that everyone, the majority of everyone, removes fellowship, removes relationship. These are probably a collection of house churches, so not a big church like ours where we all gather together. These are, you know, collections of house churches that Paul is writing to. And so you can imagine them saying, you can't come to our home anymore because you've done this. And so now Paul is writing to them. And he's saying, listen, you removed fellowship. You removed the relationship." And he repented. This guy changed. He felt bad. He felt remorse. And now he's come back. And now you need to receive him back and forgive and restore the relationship. That's where we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. If anyone has caused pain, 
He has not caused pain to me, but in some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. So what Paul is saying is even though he was trying to harm me and coming against me, he was actually coming against you too. Verse 6, the punishment by the majority is sufficient for such a person. So now you should forgive and comfort him instead. Otherwise, this one may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to confirm your love to him. It was for this purpose I wrote, so that I may know your proven character, if you are obedient in everything. Now to whom you forgive anything, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for you in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his intentions. So here's what we want to do today. We don't want to come up with a formula. We don't come, want to come up with necessarily a list of every time you see someone that you care about walking down a path of sin, here's exactly what you do. Here's what you say when they say this. Here's what you do when they do this. We're not coming up with the formula because formulas work for math. They don't work for people. We just want some principles that when we get into that situation, we have a frame of reference of what God would have us to do. And so the first thing we see in the scripture, we don't actually see it in the scripture, we see it from what's happened before, is speak up. When you see someone that you care about walking down a path of sin, again, not a one-time sin, not, you know, they made a mistake and they felt bad about it. You don't need to be there in the morning with an email. That's not what you need to do. But repeated choices that show this is the direction of their lives. When you see that, then you want to speak up. And when you speak up, speak up like a normal person. Sometimes when things get weird and situations get complicated and there's a little bit of conflict and we get scared, we lose our minds about what it's like to be a human being. So what we'll do is when we see somebody walking down that path of sin, instead of just speaking up to them and saying, picking up the phone and going, hey, um, what are you doing? Tell me about, you know, this or that. Let's talk about this. I don't understand what's going on. Instead of doing that, we go over here and say, hey, do you know that they're walking down this path over here? Yeah, okay, good. I just wanted to, I wanted to confirm with you that they were walking down that path. Okay, so we're two now. Uh, but two, that's kind of a little bit scary. So I'm going to go over here to three. You know that they're walking down this path of sin. I mean, they're really going to ruin their lives. It's going to be unbelievable, the destruction waiting on them at the end of the path. We should probably talk about it with them, but it's easier to talk about it, me and you right here. I feel better about talking about it with you, not them, with you. And now, finally, when we have some support, we're three. Then we'll say, hey, we've been talking. Anybody ever said, we've been talking to you? Does that conversation ever go well? No. No. So when you see somebody you care about, just speak up. And do it like a normal human being. Don't send them an email. Call them on the phone. Buy their lunch. And say, tell me what's going on with you right now. There may be a huge reason motivating them. Let's talk about it. You want to speak up. And two things that you need to know about yourself when you go to speak up. Number one, there is a part of you that likes to see someone in trouble. There's a part of all of us that likes to see people in trouble. See this so clearly in Annabeth, who's three. Uh, Annabeth is never better behaved than when Jackson is in trouble. Um, And so when he's you know, in a timeout scenario at our house under discipline of the father, uh, Annabeth will come over to me and she'll say, Daddy, you know what I say? I say, what, Annabeth? You're the best daddy. (laughs) Annabeth, you're in timeout. That's so manipulative. Go sit down. You know, I mean, she's just, 
She loves it when Jackson gets in trouble. She loves it because usually she's the one under the thumb of dad and mom. But when he gets in trouble, man, she shines. There's a part of Annabeth in all of us. That's why you go to the grocery store this week. What will line the checkout aisle? News about this person's marriage failing. News about this person's financial ruin. News about this person's scandal. You know why those are bestsellers? Because there's a part of all of us that likes to see someone in that situation. A twisted, fleshly, broken part of us that likes it when somebody else is in trouble. I don't know if it's insecurity or just wickedness in our hearts, but we like that. And so when you go to speak up, you need to know that about yourself. But there's also a part of you that would just rather not deal with it. That as you see somebody walking down that path, you'll say, hey, it's none of my business. I'm just trying to mind my own life here. I don't, I don't know. I, they didn't ask me. If they asked me, I would say something. There's a part of you that wants to see them in trouble. And there's a part of you that doesn't want to deal with it. And you need to know those two things. But when you see somebody you care about walking down that path, you need to speak up first. And then you want to forgive. Look at verse 7. So now you should forgive and comfort him instead. Otherwise, this one may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. And skip down to verse 10. Now to whom you forgive anything, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for you in the presence of Christ. So what Paul is saying is, is forgive this man. Yeah, he made a terrible mistake. He stirred up all this kind of dissension uh, in the church and dissension about me. But listen, I've forgiven him. I'm not even there with you in Corinth. And I've already forgiven him. And you need to forgive him too. So if you know somebody who's walking down a path of sin and there have been um, negative consequences that have affected you and you're asking yourself, should I forgive or not forgive? The answer is you should forgive. Because our standard for whether or not we offer forgiveness is not rooted in whatever situation you and I are dealing with. Our standard for forgiveness is outside of whatever situation we're in. Our standard is how God has forgiven us in Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians This is what it says in verse 32. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So if someone has wronged you, if there's been fallout in your life because this person is walking down a path of destruction, all you need to do is ask yourself, have I been forgiven? And if the answer is yes, then you forgive. That's the gospel. And the gospel, the good news of Christ, is that you and I, we're descendants of Adam and Eve. And because we're descendants of Adam and Eve, we inherited their rebellious DNA. You remember Adam and Eve. God said, don't eat the fruit of this tree. What did they do? They ate the fruit of that tree. They rebelled against God. They had children who had children who had children. Infinite amount of time. Here you and I are born into the world, still carrying that rebelliousness inside of us and we joyfully and willfully acted it out 
And you knew what was right and you knew what was wrong and you chose to do what was wrong just like I did. And that sin separates us from God because God is holy. He's pure. He's righteous. And we are not those things. And sin and holiness, they don't get merged together well. And so there's a break between humanity, between you, between me and God. But the scripture says that God demonstrated his great love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in the midst of our sin, Jesus is sent by God the Father. He lives a righteous life, the Son of God on planet Earth, where you and I made the wrong decisions. He obeyed God. And at 33, he laid that righteous life down as a substitute for us. And on the cross, Jesus made a way so that forgiveness could come to us. That's the gospel. That if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. And if you are forgiven by God, that is the standard of how we should offer forgiveness. So when you see someone that you know and love walking down a path that they should not walk down, you speak up. And you forgive. But those are the easy things. We know those things. Maybe they're hard to do, but those are, those are easy. That's a no-brainer. That's, uh, we all know that. What's the harder question is at what point, like the Corinthians, should we remove ourselves from the relationship? I want you to turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 6. The punishment by the majority is, the sufficient, is sufficient for such a person. So some of you got excited about like, we can punish sinners? That's amazing. I've been wanting to punish sinners for a long, long time. Listen, if that's your attitude, then you probably need to be punished more than anybody else. The punishment wasn't that they set him in a corner or they brought him up front and they all ridiculed him. The punishment was they removed themselves from that relationship. There was already a precedent in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church there, and says they've got something going on there that's just, just totally insane that a man has stolen his father's wife. So a man has taken up with his stepmother. Step, stepmother. And, uh, and the church just was fine with it. They, they didn't do anything about it. And so Paul writes to them and he uses strong language in 1 Corinthians. He says, you need to hand that person over to Satan. That's how heinous the sin was for that person's own good so that their soul can be saved. You need to remove them. And remove yourself from their fellowship so that they will wake up. So the Corinthians already had precedent for this. And this was the punishment by the majority. That they removed this person from their fellowship. That their relationship with them was severed because of this person's bad decisions. So when you know somebody and you care about somebody who's walking down that path. Again, not just a one-time decision mistake that they feel bad about and change. But repeated decisions that lead them away, you need to ask yourself, what, and pray, God, what is your calling for me in this situation? Is it to stay in the relationship, to be a voice of truth, to, to stick with them when no one else will? Is that my responsibility in this situation? That's probably what you'll have to do with your family. If it's your adult children who are making these decisions, maybe it's your parents making these decisions, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins. You know, you're probably not going to sever that family relationship because family is family. You only get one. 
And so probably in that situation, it's not to remove fellowship. It's just to say to them, you're making terrible decisions. You're making a mistake, but I'm going to be with you as you walk through this. That may be the calling that God has on you in the situation. Or maybe like the Corinthians, it's to say to them, listen, I'm not going to walk this path with you. I will not descend into the pit with you if that's where you're headed. I love you and I'm praying for you and I'm with you in spirit. But as long as you are headed in this direction, our friendship is on hold. Our relationship is on hold. You may say to them, listen, I've been down this path with you over and over and over and over again and I'm not doing another turn. I'm not doing it. And what I'm going to do until you get straight is I'm going to remove myself. And when you're done, I'll be here, ready and willing to restore the relationship. And hopefully, if it comes to that point, and that's what God is calling you to do, it's for that person's good. That by you saying those strong things, I love you, but I cannot go to this place with you, it wakes them up. Oh yeah, I am making a terrible decision. Or they feel the, the consequences of the decisions they're making. You ever met somebody who just totally, a Christian who just takes their life in, a, a, in an opposite direction of the way they normally walk? Usually they're not thinking clearly. And maybe you saying, I can't, I can't journey with you in this will be what helps them to understand there are consequences to their actions, even though they're only thinking about what's right in front of them. But I want to show you what we're not talking about when we talk about removing ourselves from fellowship. Turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Jesus is telling the story of the prodigal son. Jesus' most famous parable. So Jesus starts telling the story about a, a young man who goes to his father who is pretty wealthy and says to his father, listen, you're wealthy which means I'm going to be wealthy one day, but I'm tired of living here with you. Um, I want to leave, so can I just have what's coming to me later right now? And the father gives him his share of the inheritance, and the, the, Bible, says that Jesus, uh, the Bible says that the young man goes off and he, he lives a hard life. He spends all of it on hard, tough living. Eventually he runs out of his money, and all of his friends and all of his girls, they leave and he's left with nothing. And he has to take a job that's lower than he could have ever expected to be. And one day in the midst of working in this job, in total humiliation, he wakes up to the fact that the servants in his father's house are actually living better than he's living at the moment. And so he thinks, well, maybe I can go home and be a servant because to him, being a son to the father, it's off the table. He ruined that. He, he blew up that scenario when he asked for his share of the inheritance and left. He can't be a son anymore, but maybe his father will accept him as a servant. And so he heads back home and, and he's got this speech all worked up. He, he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of the servants in your house. So he's got this speech and he's practicing in it. And he gets kind of within eyeshot of home. And you know the story. The father starts running towards him. Now, if you know the story, you know how it ends. But this guy didn't know the story. He didn't know how it ended. So you can imagine being him. And you see 
the father starting to run towards you, what do you think the father's going to say? Get out of here. You're dead to me. You took everything that I had worked so hard for and blew it up. You cursed me. You cursed your mother. You cursed your family. Get off of my property. It's like you don't even exist in my world anymore. You got to imagine that's what the son is thinking as he sees his father headed towards him. But that's not what the father does. The father gets close and the son, he starts going into a speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer will be called your servant or your son. Let me just be one of your servants. And the father, he doesn't even listen to the speech. He wraps his arms around his son and he kisses his full grown son. Man, can you imagine your father in a moment of affection kissing you? And the son's still trying to get the speech out. And the father turns around and says to his servants, listen, go get the robe. Go get the robe and put it on my son. Go get the family ring and put it back on him. He was dead and now he's alive. He was far away, but now he's home. Listen, this morning you may be like, I don't know a friend who's walking down a path of destruction. I'm walking down a path of destruction. And what you need to know this morning is you can turn around and come home. And when you get here, when you get home, God is not waiting on you with a long list of all of your offenses. He's ready and willing to receive you, not as a servant, not as a slave, not as a worthless piece of humanity, but as a son and as a daughter. And the amazing thing is, is that when you turn around, what you can do today, and you start making your way back home to God, he's already making his way to you. He didn't wait for you to turn around before he started heading towards you. You can turn around now and he's there with forgiveness and a welcome that no mind can comprehend. But they're not the only characters in this story. Look at verse 25. It says, now his older son, that's the father's older son, so the brother, the older brother of the prodigal. His older son was in the field, and as he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. So you can imagine you've been out working hard all day, and you get home, and there's a massive party going on. It appears as if no one else has been working except you. And they said in verse 27, Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. Now, I don't want to get all scientific on you right now, but they were saving that calf for a special occasion. They were fattening up. It was a big deal. It was something that they were set aside, setting aside. It wasn't just a normal, you know, run-of-the-meal thing. It was a special occasion. And this father thought, this is the special occasion that I want to spend all that time and energy for. Verse 28, then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, look, 
I've been slaving many years for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know why the older brother is angry? The older brother is angry because in his mind, he would have never done what the younger brother did. Not in a million years would he have ever thought to treat his father like that. Not in a, ever in a million years would he have abandoned the family for so selfish a reason. And now he sees his brother come home and his dad just wants to celebrate like nothing ever happened. And he's angry about it because in his mind, the brother is not getting what he deserved. The brother should have been punished. The brother should have been shamed. The brother should have been sent away. And the father has received him this so willingly and easily. And he's angry about it because he never would have done something like that. You know, every person who has that turnaround moment walks through a valley of deep regret and shame and guilt. And if you have confessed your sin to God, if you've woken up one day and realized, oh my gosh, I have sinned against God. You know what I'm talking about. You just feel guilty. You feel shame. Every person who makes that turn feels that. And sometimes those of us who think I would never do something like that, I would never leave. I'm always here. I always come to church. I always make the good decisions. I always read my Bible. I always pray. I'm always giving. I'm always helping people. I would never do something like that. I'm always moral. I never watch that. I never do that. I never do those things. Those of us who act like that and feel like that, sometimes we want those who have turned around to come home, we want them to stay in that valley of shame a little bit longer. To just feel the consequences to feel the guilt of what they've done. We want to be judge and jury, just like this brother, for how long they should stay in that deep regret and remorse and shame and how severe that punishment should be. So when we talk about removing ourselves from a relationship with a person who's walking down a path of sin and destruction, we're not talking about being the older brother who says, I would never do anything like that. And because I would never do anything like that, I want, to exp I want you to experience pain and shame and guilt and consequences. We would remove ourselves from that relationship so that eventually they would come home. Because look what Paul says back in 2 Corinthians. Verse 7, Now you should forgive and comfort him instead. Otherwise this one may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. So he says, listen, it's going to be damaging to him. He's going to be overwhelmed. He's going to be swallowed up by grief and shame and guilt if you don't receive him back. It would be like the older brother coming home or the younger brother coming home, the prodigal returning, the father forgiving him, but the older brother making him stay just on the other side of the property line. Yeah, you've come back most of the way and the father has forgiven you, but you've got to be out there for a while and just, just sit in your shame and guilt. Well, Paul is saying, no, listen, he's come home. So receive him back home. Treat him now like family. Otherwise, his soul is going to be overwhelmed. Then verse, verse 11. So that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan. For we are not ignorant 
of his intentions, of his schemes. What is Satan's intentions? Satan intends to disconnect you and I from the body of Christ, from the church, from other believers. Uh, The scripture calls Satan a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You watch one of those nature shows, who are the lions always picking off? It's not the person in the middle of the herd. It's not the person in the main pack. It's the straggler, the one who left late, the one who got disconnected from everyone else. That's the one who gets picked off. And Satan wants to disconnect you. He wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel like you're on the outside looking in. Everyone else is on the inside, but somehow you are on the outside. That's the way he wants you to feel because at that point you become easy prey for him. Or he wants you to be the person who is the reason that someone else feels like they're on the outside looking in. He doesn't really care which one you are. If you're the disconnected or you're the disconnector, he's happy with both. And he intends to push you away from relationships that are rooted in Christ. So a couple of questions you need to ask yourself this morning. Am I currently on a path that leads me away from God? Am I on a path? Forget everybody else. Am I on a path? Am I making decisions, repeated decisions that lead me towards sin and towards destruction? And if you are, you can turn around today. You can wake up and come home. The Father is waiting for you, not with a list of offenses, but with forgiveness and a celebration. Do you know somebody who's currently on that path that leads them away from God and towards destruction? And if you do, what is he calling you to do in that situation? Are you called to speak the truth, to forgive and remain? Or are you called in this season to speak the truth, to forgive, but to say, I cannot walk with you down this path. But I'm praying and I'm believing and I'll be right here when you're done because he has a calling for you in the midst of it. I love that we're talking about forgiveness today because we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and there's one word that summarizes the Lord's Supper. It's the word forgiveness. The gospel is that you and I, we were separated from God. We were powerless to do anything about that separation. We couldn't bridge the gap on our own But Jesus came, offered up his life so forgiveness could come to us. So when you come and you rip the bread, you're going to hear somebody say, the body of Christ broken for you. Jesus' body was broken on the cross so that our sins could be erased. When you dip that bread into the cup, you're going to hear someone say, the blood of Jesus shed for you. The pure, righteous, holy blood of Jesus cleanses us, washes us clean. And in communion, we remember the forgiveness that we've received.